But today, we're going to pick up, we're in Mark 7 still, but we're going to go through verses 14 through 23, and I'll go ahead and read those. And I'm reading out of the New English translation. Verse 14, then he called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. Verse 17, now when Jesus had left the crowd, he entered the house. His disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you so foolish? Don't you understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? For it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then goes out into the sewer. And in parentheses, it says, this means all foods are clean. Somehow Jesus, by saying this, kind of clears that, that muddled point up. It's proclaimed, it's established. Verse 20, he said, what comes out of a person defiles him. For from within, out of the human heart, come evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evils come from within and defile a person. So, spectators, another question. In verse 14, Jesus, he called to the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, everyone, and understand. What is Jesus doing there in that moment? What do you think? It's, there's no, it's not a trick question. From your observer's perspective, what is he doing there? Yeah, yeah, it is for everyone, absolutely. Well, he's doing a few things that I can see. One, he, he's putting his foot down a little bit. He's just rebuffed the Pharisees and he's drawing it back on himself. He's inserting his authority over the situation. He's not asking for it. He's saying, listen to me, everyone, and understand. He's taking, he's about to take his teaching, and he's making that correction that you talked about, Kristen. He's, he's pointing out and he's gonna make that correction. And he does this to everyone, he says out loud to everyone, because it isn't just for the Pharisees to hear. And in my studying, in my, in my researching and looking, uh, I found some notes from a guy named Matthew Henry that said this was a public uh, practice, this washing of the hands in front of everybody. And these Pharisees had come all the way from Jerusalem to spy this out, 
to watch, to police these disciples. They had actually heard about it back in, in Jerusalem. And I don't know exactly where they were at this point in time. I couldn't quite find it in the scripture as to where they were on the map. But I know that the Pharisees came from Jerusalem to do some hand-washing enforcement and to call Jesus out. And, and because it was so public, Jesus continues to go ahead and let's make it public and he says, this is, this is how it is. Everyone, everybody's attention, nobody's excluded. This is how it is. And the fact that he implores them to use their mind, their intelligence about the matter, uh, is a correction in itself. You know, the Pharisees were laying out blind rules for everybody to follow. Wash your hands, dit dot, dit dot just like this, every time, each and every time. Don't question, just do. And Jesus is not doing that. He's saying, don't do what they do, do what I do. He's saying, listen to me, everyone, and understand. Engage your intellect to the situation here. Because isn't that what God wants, is creatures of free will, to be able to use the faculties that he gave all of us? And so, so he, 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 he inserts the opportunity, the permission for you to think for yourself. Listen to me and understand. Matthew Henry also wrote that curing the corrupt customs was done by rectifying the corrupt notions that, that not just swapping out the law for a new activity uh, was the idea, but it was, the, it was the, the effort, the energy behind making people think about what was going on, which was actually going on, opening up their minds to the notion that what they were doing was, was this legalese business and that there was something uh, more tangible, worth grasping, something with more meaning other than a blind rule. In verse 15, Jesus, uh, Jesus goes on. Forgive me. My phone is, uh, it locks out rather quickly. I forgot to adjust that setting. Uh, Jesus says in verse 15, there is nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. So he basically just sets the new standard that, that it ain't that at all. It isn't what goes into you. And, it, and these people have just been exhorted to use their intelligence. You know, it isn't, it isn't what goes into you. Think about it. What goes into you doesn't defile you. It, it, it goes into your body, into your gut. The gut takes care of business and on down the road. And um, that, that, that just opens the floodgates for, um, it's a liberation of, of, of sorts. You know, people have been confined to the, this rule and he's just basically said, nah, -uh. none of that is, is what, what actually matters here. In fact, all of this is A-OK -okay with me. Just don't eat each other, I think. 
Oh, he doesn't say that, but right, come on. And we're using our minds. All right. Understanding. Sorry. Bad joke. Bad joke. Kitchen humor. Sorry. A food service professional catalog of jokes. Sorry. Okay. By the way, Mike uh, is here and he can give me the yank at any time. <laughs> I have his support, but I know what he means by support. Uh, the other thing that the Lord is doing here, uh, he's, he's setting up, he's uh, setting up, he had just, you know, we were talking about observing him and he had went to this place and fed these 5,000 bread and fish, probably within the, the norms of the dietary Choices at the time, etc. But those people there—they were—they were a group of people that were going to make him king by force. And uh, uh, you know, he he gets over here in this uh, other area, other group of people, and uh, he, he's starting to reveal uh, what he's there for a bit here in, in, in these series of verses. Um, let's go to verse 17, 18, and nineteen. And this is, this is the meat of it here. In verse 17, Jesus says, Now when Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you so foolish? Don't you understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? For what does not enter his heart but his stomach, and then for what does not enter his heart, for it does not enter his heart but his stomach. And then goes out into the sewer. This means that all foods are clean. So again, Jesus is is moving into the the territory that he's actually there for. He's not interested in becoming the front man for uh, the rebels' alliance over there on the other side of the lake. He's he he has a territory and a mission and and a governance to um, to go up against. And it's and he's he's kind of it's kind of a D-Day scenario here. He's he's put foot on enemy shore by going into this right now, and uh, and addressing the law versus the heart. But in seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen, and I would really appreciate feedback here. This is this is a a, a doozy. It, I want to ask you. Um, when you read these words and you hear Jesus talking to his disciples this, this way, how would you describe him in this? In your observer mode, we're there in the group. We might not ask the question, but we've heard the question asked, Jesus, what do you mean by this? And Jesus says, are you so foolish? What's that, what's that make you think or feel when you hear Jesus talking to his, these are his boys, these are his, his close companions. Got two. We'll go with Ian. A little harsh. A little harsh. Kristen? Like, 
instead of it being a comfortable situation where you're. So instead of lasagna, you get something less yeah. than, maybe? Is there a disappointment there? I, I know what I want to say. I yeah, that's okay, that's okay. Sorry. Sorry no, it's quite all right, Kristen. Right. Yeah. Right. Vero. I also think, like, even though my, my immediate reaction is that's harsh, um, I think underneath that, I'm going to detect a kind of a vote of confidence. Like, you can do this. You do know this. Um, you don't challenge someone who doesn't have the capacity to deal with it. You challenge someone who should know it, who does know it, and you can actually force it. Yes. Woof. Did y'all hear that? You don't challenge somebody that what doesn't have the capacity to understand it. So, Vero, I'm going to ruin it. Vero, you, you you don't challenge somebody who doesn't have the capacity to understand what you're saying. Right. So Jesus isn't wasting his words here. He's not a waste of breath in this comment here. He's saying it because, because he knows the capability of his disciples. And I really agree with that. For me, the example that came to me is, is, is you know, the, the type of people who use those sort of statements are the people that, that are like job leads, guys that have been on jobs with or gals, uh, business owners uh, that have put me in a position of responsibility, given me a role, a title, and they're expecting a result. And uh, I think about the the parent-child relationship I have with my daughter, like, okay, if I talk to her that way, what would I be saying? Or why would, why, what situation would I speak to my daughter that way? Or how have really good siblings or friends spoke to us that way. Again, it's the people that, that aren't taking you for granted. They're saying it because they already know it's there for you to, to click and grab. You know, I, th- um, I think those are just really perfect examples and, and that's, that's spot on. And I hope you all get that as we, as we spectate on this situation. Jesus is, it's very important to him this is kind of the duh descriptions, but it's important to Jesus and it's, it's serious enough that he would uh, tighten the screw a little bit with his disciples on, on, on their uptake of the situation. What's goofy is that Peter doesn't get this until Acts. Acts 10, he gets a triple vision from God. Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. Three times, it hits him. That's a, that's a little bit of a distance between this, this scene where we're all at now and it finally sinking in and hitting home. But that's how important it is to God that he gets it. He's gonna forego the time 
but he's going to allow Peter to move through situations and he's going to put him in a situation where this understanding is vital to the ministry because Peter goes on to talk to Cornelius and I'm guessing these guys are Gentiles and Peter's like, man, I'm a Jew. We don't normally do this thing, but God showed me it ain't about the Jewish customs. You guys know all these things about Jesus. You've heard about all these things. All of a sudden I see God's plan is bigger than our little Jewish law and customs and traditions. It's important. It's important for us to get it's important for us to understand. We can learn from the disciples. Um, hey, man, let's give them some credit. They've been following Jesus around. They're being swarmed by crowds. They're probably maxed out, stretched thin, worn thin, having their own shortcomings tested and, and broken and reformed and adjusted and all that stuff. Um, what's funny uh, about this is this section of scripture, the, this, the disciples, it, in Mark, he says, he says, uh, the disciples asked ab him about the parable. And if you click over into Matthew, see, Mark is doing Peter some justice here, or not some justice, Mark is being the good brother. He ain't snitching, he ain't telling, but you flip it over to Matthew, Matthew's like, Peter asked, what's that thing mean? I thought that was funny, Matthew Matthew rolls out and throws Peter under the bus. Peter asked. That rebuff we got from Jesus? That's Peter's fault. <laughs> Peter did that. But then, I don't know, I was reading some stuff about Matthew being inspired by Mark so closely that maybe Mark was snitching on Matthew, snitching on Peter. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But Mark, Mark doesn't, Mark covers for Peter here. He just says the disciples. He, we're all, we all didn't get it. So why the seriousness, why the importance? The disciples are capable of getting it. We're capable of getting it. I think we have the luxury, perhaps, of being Gentiles, of not being legalistically controlled from our upbringing. Maybe that's an advantage. But we still have the, the things that we insert, the things that we carry over from our convictions from last week to look at, at least for me, my, my exceptional driving. It's good on the outside. But man, what comes out of me on the inside? in order to maintain it, to retain it, to, to be a perfect driver above all others and accepted by the Washington State Patrol. You kind of think maybe that's how some of these Pharisees went wrong. You know, they, what they wanted was affirmation, confirmation, attaboy um, kind of stuff and a couple of guys got together and just started patting each other on the back around the wrong stuff and get, got out of control, I don't know. They started, uh, started missing, the, missing the point. And so Jesus, also out of seriousness, importance, uh, addresses the point 
and gets into this terrain that he's going to engage in order to assert his authority and his lordship over, it's not a campaign against uh, hillbillies and hillsides or for them or any sort of thing, uh, toppling the local magistrate, etc. He's He's making his intentions known. We have the luxury of, of hindsight 2020 or the scripture and, and, and seeing kind of a bigger picture. But man, if you were there and you were listening and, and you hear Jesus say, nah, it's about the heart. I'm here to get the heart. I'm here to fix the heart. I'm here to, to engage the heart because out of the heart come these things. Those things... That list, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, lasciv, I don't know, I tried it. Evil, the evil eye, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Those are the things that Jesus came for and came to confront in us and he's, he's given the disciples the glimpse at part one to the equation or part one to the, to the intention of the purpose of the reason for him being there. They've, they've come to believe that he's the son of God, that he's, he's there to do something, he's there to fulfill the prophecies and the things that they, that they know are true and good and right. They just didn't know it was gonna be that type of campaign that they were gonna seek to soften men's hearts to convict them of uh, the source of sin, the place where sin occurs, not transform the material world around them, not transform the economic structure or who gets what or redistribute wealth or any novel or new thing under the sun this is new Jesus is is getting back to what his father wanted all along his father's intentions for the law all along uh, were all to draw people uh, to the acknowledgement of their need for God's salvation and, and glory by the way that he does it when he doesn't give us what we deserve. And ultimately, um, it leads us to the, you know, what we know is gonna happen eventually down the road. And we can fast forward to look at that, that Jesus is going to, you know, it's all gonna culminate in him grabbing each and every one of these sins, each and every one of these crimes that occur on the daily that we commit, that I commit, and pay the price for him. Because he knows that that work on the cross is what is the second part of the equation. The disciples don't know it yet. God in Ezekiel 
11.9 and 36.26 talks about the heart of stone for a heart of flesh. The Pharisees had come around and they were trying to pull a big gotcha on Jesus and then Jesus turns it back on himself and he says, not only do I gotcha, but I'm gonna pull the switcheroo of switcheroos. Jesus knows that all of those things on that list are what keep you out. And he, he wants all of those people who practice those things in. That he's willing, was willing, is still willing to engage us, confront us, convict us, Think about the, the transaction of the flesh of Christ. We say broken. He was pure. Took that smooth skin and tore it up. I want to carry also into something here. Um, Mike, we've got on time. What do we got? Just the five minutes up there or whatever. Or is that time? I don't know. Um, if, uh, if this list of things goes on and, uh, and you've practiced them, you're dealt with them, you know exactly where you're at with each and every one of those if you're sensitive to the Spirit if you're listening, if you're understanding and, and God's at work with you, he's, he's, gonna, he's gonna work on you about those things and, and he's not gonna let you suffer um, what you deserve for them to the full extent if you believe in his name and in his work. But you may suffer consequences for those things and if anybody's in a position where they've participated in any of that and they're still processing that and they feel like they're experiencing the consequences of that, I just want to encourage you in the consequential part. And I only say this because I am so familiar with the consequences of really bad decisions revolving these types of these types of sins. Got it. I got the I got the receipts. I like to tell people, um, God is so good to to establish uh, your freedom after the fallout of your bad decisions. Not just the freedom in in the kingdom to come, but the here and now, not having to um, 
practice those, those behaviors. I mean, he, he takes, takes the burden off of, of having to do those things. You don't have to do those things. People already struggled with them. Uh, somehow after he works in us, uh, we just get such a healthy amount of understanding um, to recognize that we, we don't have to we don't have to practice them. We might be vulnerable to them. The enemy may tempt us into uh, giving somebody the evil eye or feeling prideful or acting a fool. Um, we, we just never have to. You know, he's our sure foundation. He's a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, and he loves to give good gifts. Some of those good gifts are just the plain and pure, simple fact that you don't ever have to mess up like that again. That's a nice thing. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples and his disciples said to their disciples and he said to all of us, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember me. And also with the cup, he said, this is my blood poured out for you Drink this and remember me. And so we're going to move to that transaction in our hearts and minds. And I'm just going to ask, Lord, that these words and your words and in our hearts exposed before you, we can't hide anything from you. Um, I just pray, Lord, that you would minister to each of us, that you would be glorified, and uh, Lord, that you would put us in a position to um, live more freely in, in the liberation from these things that you, you came to overcome and have overcome, and by your authority uh, have no um, power or control over us. Um, and by your spirit, you, uh, you transform us into something else. In Jesus' name, pray, amen. What's, what strikes me about the passage is Jesus' frustration, what Vera was talking about, kind of what the harshness that Ian was talking about, um, the frustration. And it's, um, it's a familiar feeling in myself. But what frustrates me is that when Jesus is expressing it, you know what I mean? It's like, you're not supposed to feel frustrated. I'm the one that's supposed to feel frustrated. You're not supposed to feel frustrated. But Jesus mirrors it. It's familiar. The idea of, why don't I get this yet? <laughs> I should know this by now. Uh, you know, Romans chapter 7, the stuff that I know I ought to do, 
I don't do it. I can't do it. Um, and that what the things that I hate, that's the stuff that I keep on doing. And I think the 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 whole passage is frustrating. It's frustrating because I think for that community, they were working on it. It's an outside-in type of a thing. What I do on the outside cleanses me on the inside. And Jesus was saying, that would be nice because that gives us a level of control. If I can, con- I can control stuff on the outside. I can, you know, if I'm overweight, I can just go on a diet. I can eat better. There's hope to it, you know. Uh, if I'm sick, maybe a doctor can fix me. If I'm, you know, if I have financial problems, well, I can just stop gambling and I can get out of debt. And we, that's how our society runs. You know, you watch a commercial, hey, eat this pill and you'll be, you know, without even working out. You don't have to do a thing. There's this level of control that we can change the external stuff. And that's the frustrating part. Jesus was saying, don't you get it? It's a heart problem. This is so embedded in your heart that you'll take even good things like the law, the answer, and you'll make that part of the problem too. So you're su- this passage, you're supposed to feel, man, there's just no hope. Like it's, it's in my skin. It's, it's in my, it's, it's not just what I'm doing, it's me. You know? There's sin in the, ten, in the sense of sin is the things that I do. I've sinned because I've done the list. But then there's sin in the sense of I am a sinner. And I think that is the hard reality of Christianity. There's something wrong with me. Not just the stuff that I'm doing, but there's a reason I'm doing the stuff that I'm doing. And there's something really, really, really wrong with me that I have no control over, that I can't fix. I wish it was a set of rules I could just follow and be good. But even those rules, I tend to, I tend to skew those things too. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am the only one that came to save the heart. I'm the only one that can change, can change the, the soul itself. I'm the only one. And that's why Christianity is called being born again. You need a new birth. It's not about changing behavior. You need to be made completely new. You need to be born again. And that's frustrating because that's not anything that any of us can do by following any rules. That's something only God can do by regenerating the heart. And that is what communion is all about. Communion is a very humble thing. It's saying, I come to God and Him alone to put a new nature in me and then to grow that new nature in me. Some of you might be thinking, well, shoot, I've been a Christian and I'm still not any better. I'm still struggling with things. But you need to understand this new birth that comes inside of you, it's the same thing as like when a baby was bo- is born. When Noble was born, he was completely and utterly weak and dependent on Nicole and I. He has all this potential. He's growing into a strong person. But he's got to grow. He's got to eat. He's got to be nourished. He's got to do all those things. The same is true with you. This new man that God has put inside you, if you're a, a, a Christian, it's growing. And just like Noble or any kid, you're going to stumble and fall. 
You're going to regress, it seems like. It's going to be frustrating. But that's growth. It's not this perfect, pure, you know, uh, from low to high. It's, it's really messy. Life, organic life, is messy life. <laughs> so if you're here, that's why we keep coming back to the table. Just like Noble keeps coming back to mom and dad for help. We keep coming back to the table saying, God, my heart still needs help. I still need to grow. I still need this new nature. I still need it.